Hey guys, how's it going? Kofi here. I just want to say thank you very much for taking the time to listen to Black Guys in a Box, uh, episode two. And I'll, bit of a disclaimer, we we have a few issues with the sound, mainly because we haven't been able to get together in person to record the next episode, so we thought, you know, let's give it a go and discussing things on Skype. Now, we're missing one very vital member of the group. Nate isn't here. He was actually giving a lecture, educating, inspiring some young minds. So hold tight, Nate. We'll have you back on the next one, definitely. Um, but yeah, we couldn't actually get together, so we did it over Skype. And we have a few issues with the sound in terms of connection and quality. Now, we've done as much as we can to sort of clear it up. There are some moments where the audio can be a bit, a little bit like... Well, actually, no, it's not that bad. These type of things happen. I just We just thought it'd be nice to give you the heads up, you our wonderful listeners. So, yeah. Thank you once again for taking the time to listen. Uh, we hope you enjoy this one. It's, it's a really good one. So thank you very much. Keep listening. Keep liking, subscribing, sharing, getting people to listen. All that, all that jazz. Peace. Two, one. Oh, my God. <laughs> you, you just oh cracked my it. God. We, oh, we, one more time, one more time. We can synchronise it by the fucking laughs. The woke and the outright curious, the Wakanda Social Club presents Black Guys in a Box. I am Cuffy Smiles. Fellas, introduce yourselves. They all know you are. Say something! Mr. Angela Irvin, what you been up to? What you saying? I've just finished for Easter at university. I've uh, been writing a bit more. Uh, go check me out on the website. All my websites, you know where I am. I'll be plugging throughout, so that's cool. <laughs> Drink, motherfucker, drink. <laughs> he's got that Kawasia ready. That's why he's brought it. That's why he's brought it. Um, <laughs> how, how you feeling? Easter? Easter break? Or is it just Easter? Just another opportunity to spend, what, 20 of the 24 hours of the day writing, creating stuff, plugging stuff, curating? Yeah, what well, it's, it's got to be both. I've got, I've got deadlines, but I also kind of, I feel like I'm in a better space now to kind of be getting a bit more prolific with the articles. I've had a bit of a, rethink about what it is I'm trying to achieve with the articles I've written a lot about race um this year um and I've just kind of said to myself no more about race uh find find the non-racial angle even if it's a racial story there's a book it there's a book title in that why I'm no longer writing about race potentially you could uh go with that yeah I think that I think that would get some traction actually wouldn't have any copyright issues there's the uh there's the rumors that any red or lodge went for the and why I'm no longer talking uh, to white people about race apparently that whole book was a cash grab uh, there's a dark dark area of reddit which discusses this a lot of black people discussing it which is quite interesting I heard I actually heard Someone's she didn't have out. no black friends at uni apparently I actually heard um, she got left out of a round at the Guardian Christmas party and that's what begat the book but those are just my sources, so <laughs> you know we don't right, know okay. if it's Dan. true or not. <laughs> Mister Dan, copycat Dan, how you been? What you been up to? Say something. Uh, hi guys. Um, yeah, mate, it's been I've been super busy with the uh, the old nine to five. Um, yeah, it's it's been an interesting time because 
I've been uh, I've been very much sort of focusing on. I say on myself. It sounds like I'm self obsessed, but you know, just a bit of reflection. Like I, in the in previous years, I've been a very much been a, a sort of New Year resolution, New Year goals time of guy, and I thought this time, just take a bit of time, sit back, what's going on, what's happening figure it out that way and so basically yeah we've come around to what february march and i think okay right what do you want to achieve and that's why uh black guys in the box have come around at a good time so mm. i've been busy with work but i need to uh i'm it's i'm glad we've got something sort of key into now and it's in it's fascinating, wearing that actually, beanie that. hat inside is that part of your resolutions Bro, I, that's, man, that's, I'm working. Man has just auditioned to be an extra. Man has just auditioned to be an extra in Shaft to get up his so, Mate, I'm on the sponsorship coin. You can't see this because it's not being recorded. But I've got, this, I've got a sponsor now. But um, yeah, it's, it's it's fascinating though that um, Angelo Angelo mentioned that it's it's been talking about race a lot, and it's weird because. The fascinating thing is, he, if anyone who's active online, anyone who's active on Twitter sees that a lot of white people who are not involved in the race conversation, who might consider themselves moderate white people, who are sympathetic to the cause of black people and minorities, you see them getting more and more fed up and more and more like, fucking hell, why is everything about race? Why is this about mm-hmm. race? Why is that about race? And it, and it's it, the funny thing is, it's said as though... It's an enjoyable thing to talk about. It is literally yep. the worst thing to talk about in the yep. world because I know yep. what the conversation is going to be about. I know what the response is going to be. I get tired couching things I'm going to say. I get tired preempting mm-hmm. the responses and them coming. And no one likes to talk about it. So it's I, I've actually stepped out of that and I, I admire Angelo for having to, for fucking picking up the gun every time. He must be running out of rounds now. <laughs> it's, weird, just, it's, it's, it's not that I'm running out of rounds. I'm just running out of like bullet bulletproof Mate, vests it's, it's, you know well, what I mean bro it's willpower's gonna go next because it's a, it's a very tiring conversation to have and that's what people don't realise like we don't wanna yeah. talk I don't no, no one wants to keep talking about this so anyway so it's it, it's I'm I've, I've always been a bit of a masochist so I'm interested to see where this this conversation is gonna go in the next six months time anyway it's cool. I, I'm, I'm awesome. good I'm still alive guys we're all good so <laughs> Mr. On, on to Mr. you Mr. Dom Mr. Dom Thompson. So yes, we yes. have you for the hour. Can you invoice us individually for your time? I will accept some sort of direct debit so we can pay you handsomely. I think it's funny that you think you can actually afford me. But um... <laughs> <laughs> Tom Harriet Thompson being all brave. Yeah, <laughs> big, big bank titties. and all that. Big bank. <laughs> yes, man, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, been a busy few weeks with a few different things trying to get them off the ground you know it's just spinning lots of different plates at once with this being one of the most important plates at the moment um got back into the writing bag um had an article that dropped last week which went much better than i could have anticipated um the grandma's rule piece um mm. i've been getting yeah a lot of a lot of good feedback about that from people all over the place i mean i was back up in huddersfield this weekend uh with a few friends for a wedding suit fitting went for a few drinks afterwards and i had two randomers to me but people that knew my mother stopped me in the street and tell me um how much they enjoyed the article and, and that kind of thing man when you're not used to writing it's it's amazing to have that kind of feedback so it's been um it's been a good couple of weeks um so now just ready to keep going and i don't want there to be another two or three month gap between articles this time so it's just um, yeah, keep it burning. Keep it burning, man. 
It's been called a masterpiece of editing greatness, the, that piece. <laughs> oh, mate. <laughs> so, you, made, you made it. You made it, man. So the good thing about that, Dom, was I had, I had friends from Bradford, like white friends, friends from Huddersfield, people I've not talked to in a long time, like, messaging me, like three or four times messages saying, oh, the story about the club was like really relatable. And purely because they, they could they could empathise with it and they'd seen it happen to other people in other places. Um, it's 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 something people like to say. We're, you know, we're all we've all been out. Well, well, that's one of the, I mean, that's I, one of the things that I got from the responses. I mean, it's I, it's one thing writing in. about racism. Can I just jump ahead, in there yeah, a second? Ahead. We might as well jump straight into it. So, Dom, do you want to give us a bit of context about how you why you wrote the article, what happened to us that Friday night, and then we can go into response and the feedback. Because if we're driving straight in, we might as well sort of. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So the three of us, so me, Kofi, Dan, uh, we were at a BBC event in London. Um, thanks, Kofi, for the plug. By the uh, way. Good night. <laughs> Networking. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a damn on, nightclub. <laughs> come on, man. It was a rave. It was a rave. <laughs> it was a rave, man. It was a fucking rave. Big night though, it was a lot of fun. Um, but afterwards <laughs> we were heading to one of my friend's 30th birthdays and it was down in Southwest London, down on Clapham High Street, which me and Dan have got enough experience with. We know what I got on there. It's one of those where if you're a group of guys, it's one thing getting into club. If you're a group of black guys, I mean, most of the time you won't even bother trying. Um, so the three of us approach the door, approach the queue, and straight up it's like, boys, you're not coming in tonight, there's no girls with you. We did the whole, yo, listen, we're with the party that we're already in there. There's a bunch of girls already with them. The ratios are fine. And it was a whole merry-go-round, the whole circus of having to call the guys from inside to, to vouch for us. The bouncers still not really being too sure of us and thinking we're just trying to ting. Um, and then eventually being told that we're being let into the club as a favour because they've seen me before, they've seen Dan before, and they know that we're not trouble. Oh, I didn't um, know that. I did not point. know they were letting us in as a favour. Yeah, that was that, that. was it. With the with the head guy at the front, he said, "Yeah, I've seen you being, I've seen you in here before, so I'll do you a favour because typically they probably wouldn't have let us in." Um, and they said, "Yeah, just don't cause any trouble tonight." Like, I mean, you said that you've seen us before, so why are we going to cause any trouble if you know we're not troublemakers? One of those things, and I mean. In the article itself, I talk about the, the feeling that often goes unsaid because all of us here have had that situation. We all know that sinking feeling when it's like, God, this is going to be unnecessarily difficult to just go and have a drink, go and have a dance. Uh, but what really put the icing on the cake for me was I went out into the smokers area, was speaking to the initial bouncer that wanted to turn us away. Um, and I just said to him, mate, come on you can level with me now what are you doing that for because at the end of the day if it was you at some other bar the same situation would have happened and you'd have been on the other side of the rope and he very bluntly just said to me listen when we let black guys in they want to fight and when we want to kick them out they want to fight against us and white boys don't do that and this and was I the mean, black bouncer just to be clear this, yeah this, black was bouncer. The, this was the black bouncer a black bouncer saying when we let black boys in they fight when we tried to kick them out. Then don't kick them out, man. <laughs> they won't fight you. you know? <laughs> this is the point that I was going to go into. So, I mean, you've you started to build up a reputation here about the way that you're treating black people, the way that you're treating black boys. And then there's already resentment building every time you let someone in. So, I mean, we're all 
good guys, quote unquote, good guys. So I mean, I'm not going in there to, to punch up anyone anyway. But if I wasn't that way inclined and I managed to get myself into the club by some other means, and I've already had that hard time from the bouncers outside, then if anyone wants to try anything inside, then I am more inclined to, to, to be pissed off. I'm more inclined to start something. So I mean, that relationship is soured right from the very get-go. And it's one of those situations where I've faced it before, but I think this is the first time that I've had white friends that I've witnessed it. And it's been, it's been a, a big moment for me in terms of when I actually wrote the article. I've learned that it is possible to break race and racial issues down in a way that are very, 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 very relatable. Um, and I think that's something what I might have, something that I might have struggled with in the past, where I write my experience down and someone can say, "Ah, well, maybe you were just overthinking it. Maybe you were being a little bit too sensitive." But I think this is something that's very tangible, something that's very relatable, um, which I think speaks to the kind of responses that I've had from it. So, what what was the main like um, response that stood out to you? What was most striking? I mean, like you've said that. Uh, friends of your mum, I assume they were white, right? Um, yeah. That have stopped yeah. you in the street and be like, oh my God, um, I don't know, what did they say? So, I mean, first and foremost, and I think it's kind of futile because I don't want people to feel like they need to apologise for their whole race, but the amount of people that have said to me, listen, I'm sorry that... I'm sorry that... <laughs> let them, go let that them take them and take as many as you can. <laughs> Honestly, man. It, it's, Bag it and invest. Isn't it? <laughs> Bag it and invest. <laughs> invest, invest, invest. No, man, it's, it's one of those bittersweet moments, but it's the whole, yeah, I'm sorry that we had to go through that. This is ridiculous in this day and age. One thing that I've heard a few times is, oh, London is so multicultural. I can't believe this is happening in London. But the most important piece has been, yeah, I can I can appreciate that. I can understand that because I've been turned away from a club for whatever reason before in the past, but I've never had to fear that every time I go up to a nightclub. Well, I'll be honest with you. I've never had that, to fear that in other kind of situations. That is the first time, and I'll be honest with you, that is the first time that situation has happened to me. And I think that even when I've been in... When I've gone out in London, we've either gone to specific events, specific raves, uh, specific nights. When I've, gone, when I've been going out in Newcastle, Leeds, Sheffield... Uh, I don't know whether it's when I'm in Leeds a lot with my sisters or my friend Hannah and her friends. Doesn't never really seem to happen in Hull. Um, never yeah. happened in Newcastle. But that was the first time I've been denied by a black person <laughs> at, a, at, a, um, at a club or a bar because of who we were. Now, I don't know whether I've been naive, but I don't know. We've never really been denied entry into anywhere unless I've been too drunk. Every, every other time, it's just been most of the stuff has been fine. Which is why I was a bit like, you know, I knew of these situations. I've spoken to friends about these situations. Um, I've read about these situations. So it was just like, okay, this is kind of expected because I know, and I know this happens in London. And that's the thing. I know mm. this happens in London. Everywhere else, it doesn't seem to be that much of a big deal or it's not as spoken about as much as it is about happening in London. Especially with the whole thing that, was it that week or the week before, Parliament were discussing, we've got to stop this sort of... Um, prejudiced against certain nights because it's killing the music scene you can't be saying you're not putting nights on where you can have like hip-hop r&b and grime because you think that the clientele are going to start fights start stabbing and shooting up the place this is a problem they need to yeah. start tackling that it's mad that that has become something that of all the times that parliament would have things to discuss they're talking about it now when we're trying to deal with brexit do that mean so that maybe that's maybe an indicator yeah. that it's become more of a problem than it is Mate, but that that's also an indicator of how bad Brexit's going. That they will talk about anything, 
They're talking about black people getting thrown out of clubs. Like, fuck me. What's, what is at the bottom of the list? Oh, black <laughs> people getting thrown out of clubs. Okay, let's talk about that until Brexit. But seriously, like, honestly, it's funny that like you say you've not you've not come across that. I yeah, I've I literally that, that, that that has happened to me. I reckon that happens to me once a quarter, minimum. So it's. Oh, but I don't know. I don't. I don't go out as much good. as you guys. Though I don't go out as much as you yeah, guys. That, I want to. All right, mate. Don't forget me. You sound like my mum. <laughs> I don't go out. My drinking's under control. <laughs> no, but <laughs> so what was interesting is when you said it had happened in Clapham. I haven't been back to Clapham since the last because the last time I went, that happened to me. Like every mm. place we tried to get into, you could see them eyeing me from top to bottom, but, trying but, to but find what, a reason what? to not let me in. The, and the other funny thing is that kind of you you mentioned Newcastle. I haven't been out and clubbing in Newcastle since the last time I went to Newcastle with the exact same situation that you guys were in. Really? But the, but what was even worse was I went in with the group. There's me and my mate Adrian at the back. There's about 25 of us for a 30th birthday. About 25 of us, mostly girls, few guys. But me and Adrian are standing at the back of the same group. Let everybody in, no problem. All of a sudden, we had to get the full search. They were looking, and they were like, "Sorry, boys, we're, we're not gonna be able to let you in." And it's like we were with the group that you just let in. Like we booked out like fifty, uh, like fifty of us. And but it was that thing of what was really interesting. Me and my mate Adrian, at the same point, we kind of spent about five seconds trying to justify why we should be lit, and then we were like, "Fine, like we don't want to. We we won't be. We won't come." And we turned to walk off. Our mate came and said, "These guys are with us." And these guys like very reluctantly let us in, but ruined the night. Me, me and my friend Adrian were there. For you half just don't feel comfortable. I guess we you won't feel comfortable. Then we went, we're going. Yeah. Like, Why would you want to spend your money there? If I could have taken a train, if I could have taken a train home at that point, I would have jumped on the first train and went back. It was too late at night. The adverse reaction to that situation is that I've been let into nightclubs, but as soon as I've been let in, I've been taken aside and searched. Do you know what I mean? They've checked my pockets. They've checked everything. That's happened more often than not. Like. Uh, and in fact, that happened a lot in Newcastle. You go to places like Cosmic Ballroom, Digital, the nights where they're expecting a lot of drugs to be like sold and pushed out. I was always searched, heavily searched, and people were always asking me for drugs. So they'd let me in, but they'd search me first, which I thought was, which, I don't know, again, you just think it's part and parcel. And you just think, well, fuck it, this is, this is who we are. This is one of the things that, one of the tokens or one of the tags that come with being black. I led a steering group at the uh, university. We, we were talking about decolonizing university, but I think this line really speaks to so many people's issues. And it's one of it was a PhD candidate um, who said, um, talking about the university, says, I feel like the university are asking their BME students to do the majority of the work and are not aware that they are traumatizing those same students that are forced to then become activists. It's not an interest, it's your life. And it's that thing of, I don't want to be the guy that writes about race, but because yeah. that keeps happening to me, I'm forced to respond to it. Like, I, I just I just said to my um, tutor today, this... I was like, oh, you're back, you're back, Dan, with your sound. Um, so, yeah. Um, but I was like, you know, when I came, before I came to university, my interests were um, Civil War literature, the literature of 1642 um, to 1651. I said, I've never been asked to be on any kind of panel, even though I've kind of been very open with that. But I've been on six panels to do with race. I was like, so it's like I have been forced to become an activist because like of you, you just, you are, you are just black. 
Like, this is the thing, I, I try to tell people this. Whenever I talked about uh, writing or I'm interested in, it's been quite interesting since I left journalism and I've unfollowed a lot of journalists and they were like, and people ask about stuff and like, and the stuff I tweet about now, I tweet about a lot of race stuff and I tweet about a lot of sports and then people ask me about it. I'm like, to be honest, I was like, I'm so fucking jaded. I was like, I, I just am black. I'm not interested in this. I just am black. So if I don't, if I don't keep abreast of these things, it's going to be me next. Like, oh, seriously, I, I need to keep, I need to keep an eye on this because we're stronger together. We're stronger if we're, we're all aware of what's going on. It's not because I have an interest in this. I don't want to follow this. Like, yeah. fucking, like I say, it's, it's just something which you've got to do. It's for self-preservation, the preservation of people around me. But when you look mm. at this self um this interest that we're all in it together, do you not find more and more using things like the Twitter landscape, the way that we are able to sort of jump in on a conversation and react to a conversation and give our points of view a conversation, there's more conflicting than agreement, than support. The way that people have handled certain stuff and you just think, are we not moving further away than coming together where we're looking, where we're dealing with issues that, yes, it might not be happening to us directly, but it involves us in some way. Like, I, I'm guilty for staying quiet because I generally sort of sit and I read all these incidents and I look at how people react to them and be like, right, you, my, you are, pardon? You are 100% right because, the, the, like, I, I have acquired a lot of things which I would have previously spoken out on because, purely because, it, Twitter is not the platform. It's not a platform to persuade people to do things. It's not, and I don't know. I don't know when. When are people going to wake up to this? You can't persuade someone yeah. to change their mind because it's it, it's it's all about brevity and it's all about immediacy. It's not a platform to to be to be loquacious to to go to have wide ranging arguments. It's not that, and I don't blame. Like obviously, Tanahasi Coates was was getting he's getting banned by Cornell. Uh, what's his name? Sorry, Cornell West. Sorry. Cornel West, and it's a very valid argument. Like they come from different sides of, of the sort of the, of the African American freedom struggle, and both of them, they need to be read in depth and understood. And when they were having this sort of disagreement, which is a conflict of views, which is fundamentally that's they just come in from different angles. You, I, guess I was seeing people like tweet about it coming with vox pops and stuff. I'm like, I'm like, are you serious? These two men have sort of dedicated their life to learning their craft, to writing and thinking in depth about black issues in the black community. And it's being reduced to tweets and retweets. And I was like, this is pathetic. And that's one of the reasons why Tanahasi Coates left. And I, I, I just feel like that's the reason why we're getting farther away is because it's not a platform for agreement. It's a platform for, I disagree with this, look at this, quote tweet. Twitter is the place to get noticed. Now, I think we were taught, we had this um, careers day at the university yesterday, and we had some people who specialise in building a brand, a self-brand throughout social media. And, what, and we had quite a lot of people that were, you know, had these sort of roles within media, whether it was press, online, a film, TV, whatever. And one of the big things that was spread around was, okay, make sure your Twitter self, your Instagram self stands for something and people can see what you stand for. Because at the end of the day, if you're sending off an amazing CV or you're getting interviews and this, that and the other, they're going to screen your social media as a insight into who you are, which I totally understand, I totally get. But then there was so much emphasis that in order to work in the media now, you have to have a social media identity. So pouring mm. yourself and create, curating this persona, which is now people are spending more time on refining themselves online than actually refining themselves in real life. It's madness to me because is that social media yeah. self going to be the self that you're going to have in the office or you're going to display to a client? 
you might be able to put together an amazing 140 or 280 characters that you might spend hours at, that you might spend hours putting together. But in reality, having a conversation, can you actually react like that with people face to face in a real conversation? Mm -hmm. To me, I would just sat there sometimes, I just think, are we actually thinking the digital self is taking over than the personal self now? Which is what I think is a little bit worrying myself. But anyway, I think, 100%. sorry. But I think we should bring it back to like, sorry, the night out. I'm like, Dom. Yeah, you know, so, like, so, we... so, uh, uh, so, can I just get, sorry, can I just, get, I just want to give a bit of context on, on Clapham High Street. So I, I live in Clapham Junction. Um, I had a guy at Clapham High Street for a few years. I, I've had an issue with that same bar like four or five years ago, previously, where there was one particular bouncer who's, who's an Eastern European bloke, and he would literally, I was, I, I was never thrown out for doing anything, but he saw me going in once, he didn't like look at me, and he, from that point onwards, he would just seek me out. He'd find me, I'd be on my own, I'd be at the bar, I'd be talking to someone, and he'd find me and throw him out. And that's, and it got to, it, went, it happened like four or five times. And I was like, I said to myself, why does this, I was like, what is wrong with him? Like, I haven't done anything. Because I've been talking to the bouncer, I, I wasn't even drinking that night. And they were like, oh, yeah, but it's, it's, it's right. And then the guy came out, he took me to him and said, look, the guy's just got a problem. He's just got, for whatever reason, he's got a problem with you. Like, I don't know if he's racist or well. I don't really, I don't really talk to him, but that, that's the deal. But that's sort of side story. My, my wider point is about Clapham High Street, where that bar is. So there are a number of bars, like halfway up, which have got mainly black clientele. Four, five of them. So in the context of that, this place is down the hill. So what it will get is it'll get this sort of overflow people from that place. Now, I've, from speaking to other people, I've, I've when people don't get into these other places, they come down there. So I think what they have is, it's almost, they're trapped in this cycle now, like you were saying, where they get people down there, they don't like the look of them, they let them in, and then there's some kind of trouble. They're like, actually, we want you out, and then there's a fight. It, it, and it just becomes, it's just a cycle because they then treat yeah. the people worse. They treat people like they've never seen and like as though they've done something. And it's just, it seems to me to be a cycle. So then three of us show up, like in, 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 uh, in little coats. Ah. <laughs> I mean, you've got dreads. I mean, I, I, I can't do anything about that. But we've got wool coats. Man's in, man's in his, his wool jumper. Dom, Dom, was, Dom was looking fleeky. And uh, we're, then, we're, we're then treated as though we've already been thrown out of that same location already when, when we've not been anywhere near it. So it's, it's, it just becomes a really weird, bizarre cycle. Like I was saying, it was the two black bouncers who would, I don't know if they'd been sent to do, take, play that role, but they were the two ones who were the ones who seemed to be saying, you guys, don't, mm. don't look about, don't say anything. We'll let you in as a favour. Don't show me saying, up, don't... sort of thing. Exactly. Well, one one and... of my friends had a really um, interesting take on this. So he said that when you get into a position of power, you often apply that power the way that you've seen power manifested in the past. And if you've seen yeah, a million point. black people great being point. kicked out of clubs, then, oh, I want to keep my power, so I'm going to keep doing what I've seen leadership do before. So maybe they're upholding that. And I mean... They don't really want to do that, but once you've had a bit of power, I don't want it taken away from me. And and but it's just you, a different angle. But do you know what? It's even more insidious than that because there's a thing at university where um, student voice is becoming a greater part of um, what staff kind of go forward. And so we've got a lot of graduate teaching assistants who are teaching first and second years. 
Um, and one of the things that's been coming out is that these, um, the GTAs who are uh, black and minority ethnic, um, I'll give a direct quote. When I've taught this year, the lessons I've tried to teach about race have been um, lessons that have gone badly. Uh, where And the feedback has been this person is trying to shoehorn race. And it says, uh, it links to the fact that academics of colour have scored lower in student reviews, so they suffer in terms of improving their career. And this was a devastating quote. He said, if I want to do well, it seems I have to move away from looking at race and focus on other topics. And so it's exactly that same thing is like if if you're not throwing out black guys and you're a black guy why aren't you throwing out black guys we that's how you that's what you do and if you're not doing it you're not going to advance to like chief doorman um but going back to something that you said Kofi you said that you feel guilty because you don't always engage what I would say is when it comes to race things will be thrown at you all the time so a lot of the stuff that I've written about have been based on experiences that I've had. Some A couple of people asked me today if I was going to write about the whole Bonucci and Juventus situation. I was like, nah, something else will come around the way if I need to write about race. And it's like, I've got I've got nothing that I want to add to that. Because the thing is, it's just like I, all I would write is another annoyed piece where people keep... Because the thing that annoys me is that people going, I can't believe this is still happening in 2019. Because my response is, what work has been done at any point before now that has actively and aggressively tackled this topic? Like, South Africa had to have a fucking truth and reconciliation um, for there to be work. We haven't done that. Like, what's the news today? Today yeah. in race is, like, Time. fucking Windrush are going to get paid, like, a 500 quid. Mm. It's like, so don't, let's not pretend that there's a new day. My just assume, because got, time has got passed. racially abused at primary school for the second time in less than a year yesterday. He's eight years old. So, like, it's like, I, you can skip out of stories, Cove, because I promise you they'll come round and round and round See, and round. I wouldn't say it's guilt, and it's just like, and I think it, this is what Twitter has sort of, like, imposed itself on people. If you have the pla- if you have the app, if you have the platform, the account, you're almost expected to join in. And I think, yes, that's great, join in the conversations, but, like, do you have to? It's like, do you have to always do? You always have to say something. You can you read comments and you see people that are just sort of echoing someone that said uh, the same thing two comments above, or you know, just throwing their hat in because they want to be seen. And people generally, I think, generally will try and make a bigger issue out of something just to get big on Twitter. Because you get big on Twitter, you get noticed. You have, you know, everybody wants to be famous for being famous sake at, without actually having to stand for it. Do you know what I mean? It's become a joke now. When someone's t- tweet gets thousands of retweets, comments and stuff like that, people have started putting links into their other stuff or putting links into, you can pay me here for th- certain things. And it's just like, what is this platform being used for? I'm like... We, we, we need to set up a Patreon, guys. But um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that aside, what I'll say is, it, as who, it's become sort of the spokes that, that you know, the mainstream media in the UK is uh, face of black issues now is John Barnes and he was, he's been criticised by that's for a, a lot bad of place to be it, it is it is and, it, and he's been criticised you know fairly in some places for, for the way he's approached arguments saying people should be patting on the back and the, he's, he's had a poor choice of words but where I will always credit him because in the last two things he's been asked to talk about he goes in with an idea he's like he, he always makes it about the macro 
he will, he will never, he's not allowed himself to be drawn down to be talking about this one person saying this one black thing. What's going on here is like, well, no, let's talk about the wider thing. Let's talk about Winston Churchill. Let's talk, he, he, he makes it about the macro. And that's what, that's that's why you're wise in a way, Kofi, in, in not being, you cannot be drawn into everything because it, 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 it's mm. just more of the same. Angelo can't keep. Angelo's just yeah. gonna write the same article every week for like the next fucking. I've been doing. I've written the same article five times in 2019. It feels like. Yeah. So so the, these conversations they just circle and circle. And like Angelo's saying, people people say, "Oh, I can't believe we're having this conversation still," but the time changes nothing. Time is not a healer. Yeah. There's got to be some positive action to move it on. They say, you know, if you keep doing the same thing, it's the. Uh, you're going to get the same results or doing the same thing whereas the definition of insanity doing nothing is fucking it's even worse I've got to stop swearing because I was going to listen to this but that's the point so nothing's going nothing's going to change so it's unfortunately I th- the, the weird thing is you, 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 what you're getting is the, the ethnic minority in the BAME community they're now at a point where they're just realising that so people are getting more and more tired of having these conversations and uh I just, I just worry about how we're going to continue to drive change in four, five, six, that. seven years. I get that, I get that. But what I say is, doubling back to what I was saying previously, I think we've got to be a bit more tactical. So we can talk about our experiences until we're blue in the face. We can, we can talk about things that happen, condemn things that we see in sport, on TV, in the media, etc. But... It is all about finding that little relatable take because we all just say this is really, but this is a really bad thing that happened to us. This was shit. Now, how I can make that, how I can make you relate to that, put something into an experience that you could have actually had, um, put the shoe on the other foot, and make it irrefutable that this is actually a bad thing happening to this group of people. And it's easier said than done. It's easier said than done because I mean, we've all written, aside from you, Kofi, we've all <laughs> written certain things which which yeah. paint certain experiences yeah. which should be very easy to digest it should be very easy to digest but it takes something where it's like I'm going to slap this situation in your face this was shit, this made me feel shit this made my friends feel terrible as well both the black friends and the white friends watching it to understand oh god actually yeah maybe it isn't that fun, maybe there is a situation mm. that's going on here and it's trying to find a way to shape that message in that way well, I was got, I'm glad you said that because I was going to say, are there any takeaways from this whole scenario and from what you got from the re- from the um, from the the feedback, the response from it? But I think that summed it up perfectly. That summed it up great. I mean, it's it was sad. Uh, myself, it was sad and it was unfortunate. But then again, it's like it's nothing that lingers for me too long, because again, it's like what we said about the whole engaging of it involved in getting involved in a, an engaging with a Twitter conversation. This is just part of the past, so this is just what comes with, you know, a bit of menolin. And it's, 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 I don't know what, I don't know if that's I know it didn't affect you too bad because sad. I saw you getting numbers. I saw, I I saw you getting numbers. The guy, was, <laughs> the guy was in there trolling. He was like a deep sea ocean fishing liner, just trolling for numbers. Hey, no, I, I, mean, I got I one. Think the thing is, is I got one you... number. I got one. I think the thing is, is like just to kind of put my kind of last sort of take on this is that I'm getting better at brushing it off because I refuse to make race a huge part of my identity. I'm not ever going to go into a conversation and say, hi, I'm Angelo, I'm black. It's just like that, that is, I'm, I've never considered myself black except that society keeps telling me that I am. 
it's like so as long as I keep kind of reminding myself of what I base my own identity in then I should be able to kind of deal with these situations when they come up yeah something which I feel quite strongly about was this whole was Dr. Sebi telling the truth sort of situation and like obviously with the death of Nipsey Hussle a lot of people are sort of getting themselves a little bit more uh, savvy about the well, I say savvy or the memes have started running about Dr. Sefi and like you all think that this man could cure cancer with a few with a few basil plants and some water everybody's tripping honestly black twitter has been having a field day and it's like it's unfortunate that well I, I don't know if it's just a way a coping mechanism but with the death of Nipsey Hussle and like the sort of jokes and stuff about Dr. Sebi and cancer do you think this is something that is going to allow people to start looking more into this type of stuff the holistic side of dealing with like some of these the world's deadliest sort of illnesses and viruses and medicines before we talk about Dr. Sebi uh, Nipsey Hussle's death so I think what's really interesting about the backlash is that it completely forgets that there is a, a lot of the illnesses that we suffer, uh, so much of them are caused by the environment that we're in. You know, in the 19th century, 18th century, 17th century, in a lot of the literature that I've read, you had people dying of broken hearts. You had people dying of shame. You had people dying of these... People, and people go, well, science, there's no such thing as a broken heart. But actually, yeah, there is. And it's like kind of... What happens when people are stressed? Their hair falls out, their hair turns grey. You know, they feel sick, their their bowels hurt. I'm not here saying that Dr. Sebi was some kind of, you know, clinician or doctor. But what I am saying is that anybody that says, do you know what, if you eat a clean lifestyle, if you try to eliminate stress from your life, maybe you will have better health outcomes. And like, we, we, we're all doing that. Like, I know me and Yuko for vegan, my health has improved tenfold just by being vegan. And that was able to be tracked through my attendance at work. Um, you know, I know that you've had like a switch off for the last week from the like internet. I'm sure that your life has been markedly improved by not kind of dealing with that stress. And I think it's important that we are able to kind of like deconstruct kind of the the myth from actually the basic truths of if you eat like shit food and you have a high stress job and you're having to kind of spend all your money on things that you don't want to please people that you don't care about your life is going to be tough so i think that's mm-hmm. the thing that i'm taking out Great. of it i'll be honest with you, i'll be honest with you this whole like internet switch off i have i haven't fully committed back to being online like I'll check. I don't even get notifications for WhatsApp. I don't get notifications for anything other than text, which you know a, f- a few and far between because everybody is Facebook Messenger and stuff like that. But it was nice to like have. I was meant to have five days, six days off. I ended up getting four and a half, and it was great. I haven't really sort of gone back onto Insta. I'll go onto Insta to post. I use Reddit and other news sources, and I've done it honestly. I generally feel a lot better. I feel a lot. St- I feel less stress. I feel less triggered and I realise when I do go into Instagram and have a quick scroll I come off I generally notice how I feel like I feel I don't want to say necessarily worse but I have this inkling to either go on or I sort of I feel a bit scattered the interesting thing for me is I, I've been on uh, Android uh, I used I used to work for a company that made apps for Samsung so I had a Samsung phone for like three or four years and 
since I went, I went back onto an iPhone the other day because I lost it. So I've been doing, I've been in internet search offs for every six months for about four or five years for losing my phone. But um, <laughs> what 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 I find out since it's iPhones has been this update which tells you how much time you're spending on each app. You just swipe left. Yeah. The screen time. And honestly, yeah. That I was so shocked. The first day I saw it, it was seven hours. And I was like, so I, on. so I slept for seven and a half hours and seven and a half of my waking hours, and I've been out and about doing stuff, but seven and a half of my waking hours of a 24-hour day I spent on the phone, that shocked me. So but what, was shocked did, me. what apps were you on? What was... It was mainly just... Oh, was that... It was, what, it was typical stuff, so it's like, I, there's a lot of Twitter, uh, Instagram, and WhatsApp, mainly. Right. So basically, I use my Twitter as my news app if something's going on, I'll just check it, and it... And it's it's such a like it's a pernicious little habit. Like you don't need to do it. You know, I don't think anything's gonna happen, but I go on just in case something has happened. That's what I realised. So it's what I realised is my relationship with how I'm using my phone is wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong with those phones. You just have to be disciplined within yourself to to use them in a way which is practical and healthy in your life. And I'm personally, I'm just the type of person which I need to. I have to see something before I realise oh my god I need to change this and I saw that and it's been coming down now so I'm about to I'm up to about uh, about four hours a day now like end to end so like, I did that this morning I spent half an hour but I couldn't be asked to get out of bed so I spent half an hour so it's just it's for, so for me it's just yeah it's you could cut out three hours a day by stopping sending for me on the fucking never, Instagram and never WhatsApp, never <laughs> I will never stop sending for you it's going to be long for you. I recommend it and I think it's I'm like, you know, Angela, you've done it as well. And I, I, I love it. And I think having those, having that sort of time, putting this, implementing this in, into practice, it's carried on into my work life so far. Like, I'm definitely on my phone a hell of a lot less. I'm not worried about a lot more stuff. I'm getting up in the morning a lot better. I'm going to bed a lot better. I'm sleeping early, not aimless browsing. Mm. And I just feel better about myself. And I think sometimes as that, you see stuff online, other people doing stuff, especially within and around your field, and you feel like I should be working towards that rather than last week I was able to just sort of, I did a hell of a lot of nothing, a hell of a lot of reading and I did a hell of a lot of planning and it was able to just think, okay, what am I, I'm writing this for me. I'm planning this for me. I'm not working towards a direction that I think I should be going because this is what other people in my field are doing. I'm doing this because I know this is where I want to be. This is where, this is what I'm working towards. So it might sound a bit juvenile, might sound a little bit um a little bit naive to some people but i think in my job when we have to be constantly on facebook we have to constantly be on instagram just be looking about what is happening how is how are people tackling this issue what's being said about this issue what are the 16 to 30 year olds saying about this and the other and constantly scrolling outside of work hours just to see what's been picked up it's too much and i'm glad i can and i've found a way to sort of use things like reddit and Twitter to be able to navigate around these things and see what people are sharing. So mm -hmm. it's been quite nice, which is what sort of... I think what... Yeah, I was just going to say, and Dan knows this guy. In fact, um, Angelo, you met him at the Anderson Pack show. Yeah, yeah. So one of my friends, Richie, really great guy. He's one of the most driven, one of the most focused. One of the people that I think, I'm not too sure what's in, but he's going to be successful, very successful at something. And he's never on Instagram. He'll drop in every few days or so to put another promo on about his upcoming app. 
He's rarely on WhatsApp. He's one of those people where you message him and he's getting back to you three days later. He's just focused on things that really matter. Mate, there's a lot to be said for it. Like, I did it last year. Like, I had... I went for a month. It, went, it started for Facebook, which is the easiest thing to do because you know, people don't really use it. And then Instagram went for three weeks and then Twitter went as well. And honestly, it was like... It was... It was quite freeing. It's quite a freeing thing to do. And... I went back on in the end because I, I, I realised I enjoy using these things. But again, it's it's finding a way to make this fit into your life rather than having it become like, it shouldn't be an integral part. It shouldn't exactly. be something, it should just be another yeah. tool. Like you go into the kitchen and get a fork when you need a fork. But it's just a tool. That's all these things are. And I think it's, it's nowadays we've, we've, we've got to a point where it's taking it's taking a part of your life function. Okay, guys, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that to uh, for that to become a a talking point. Um, but I'll, I'll bring it back. So, no, but hold on. Okay, if, uh, you asked about Doctor Sebi, and we were like, we kind of that's where it went. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, it's, oh, it's, sorry, yeah, it's, it's, it's wider. These are like these are wider health things. So I think like we're, we're gonna get. I think we're gonna get more into the specifics of it. But I mean, he he was, he was the guy was a herbalist, so. I, like, I've seen lots of sides of this. Like, I've always been a skeptic because my my mum was, uh, she is allergic to everything. And growing up, she didn't know what was wrong with her, but she just knew she got sick all the time. So she's having the doctors didn't know what was wrong with her. Like, she had IBS, and then she went to, she was, so she was always going to like uh, Chinese doctors, Chinese medicine. Years and years and years of trying to figure figure stuff out. It costs a lot of money as well. And then eventually, she was gluten intolerant. But this was like, obviously, this is like the 90s. So it wasn't really a, a thing. People didn't even know it was. She was allergic to gluten, allergic to dairy, allergic to citrus. And then, like I said, and then she had IBS as well. So it was, it was a combination of all these factors. And it, in the end, it was, it was a kind of a herbalist where it's, okay, what we need to do is tweak your diet. No drug would have helped her. No drug did help her. So she had 10 years of, of, of mucking about with this stuff. So I say all this to say, even as a skeptic, there is a place. Like all, me all medicine comes from the earth. That's where that's that's where they come, oh my, oh, it's chemicals now. But the, the way a lot of it started was just people finding plants, finding roots, finding whatever, and that's where it comes from. So I understand how you can get how. Uh, how people are drawn into this. However, I think I think we're in a situation now where more weight is given to it than it possibly should be. And I think I do agree with you on that. I think it's like okay, I've got like uh, I'm in stage of, I'm in stage four cancer. Okay, I'm, let me just give me all the greens as possible. I'm going to take all the meat. It doesn't. People seem to think that's how it works. Doesn't necessarily work. Like you can, like you said, Dan, you can find the right sort of roots, vegetables, anything that's going to have the right antioxidants, vitamins, minerals in it that can help combat whatever you're going at. And being fed it at the right doses and removing everything else, having a perfectly curated diet plan, um, food plan, knowing what to eat when and how much and what to progress into. Yes, I think you're definitely onto something. But in terms of like the flippancy that people think about this sort of stuff, that comes with believing in this sort of like ways of medicine it's i think that's what something that needs to be sort of controlled a little bit when my dad had prostate cancer 
he immediately, like, vehemently refused um, chemo. And he said, look, you can do the operation, do what you need to do, but I'll start treating myself and speaking to my other holistic friends, who most of them are holistic dentists, so that's something I can come on to later. And he used a lot of things that he read and people he spoke to to help him through that process. All clear, fine, it was all fine now, but because of, like, years he spent in transitioning into being a holistic dentist in terms of lack of not using mercury he for years he's been hypnotizing people in, when he's doing fillings implants and stuff like that without having to use local anesthetic all this type of stuff it's caused him a lot of problems with the like the uh, the british dental board so, because they don't like the yeah. fact that dentists are trying there's a whole little cabal i'll probably say of dentists trying this sort of stuff it's becoming successful they're refusing contracts with big companies to sell certain products because they're realizing hang on we're actually being able to spot things about like tumors and um uh so what do you call them uh brain hemorrhages and all this sort of thing blood clots in the brain by analyzing and doing holistic things with the teeth and it's quite interesting this allegedly. is my dad down this is taking uh, allegedly this is taking my dad down a very very interesting path with his uh his career at the work that he's doing especially with other dentists and stuff and it's it's quite interesting to see and speak to him about it now he's on the on the contrary to this he's someone that thinks veganism is extreme and that uh, he says veganism is an extreme diet and that meat cheese dairy everything in moderation because you know you can deal with carcinogen uh, carcinogens uh isn't as isn't as big a deal as pe- uh, getting Carcinogens being caused by things like red meat and like inflammation for things like dairy isn't as big a deal as people are mentioning. Mentioning uh, uh, people are talking about. So I think it's interesting when you come at these sort of two points of view from these two different angles because it's you think if you believe in one, you'd respect and follow the other. It's like a Christian scientist. Um, so if 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 I think, I think let's if we sort of bear in mind our audience, we take a step back. Do you want to just? explain who Dr. Sebi is, perhaps. Uh, not too much about Dr. Sebi. I just thought okay. that he was, like you said, like you so, said, he was a holistic yeah, medicine. So, so well, I, holistic de- I know a few bits and pieces of that. So, Dr. Sebi was, a, well, he was a herbalist, wasn't that a doctor. Uh, he was a herbalist who, who, who claimed he found uh, cancer. Um, everything he did was rooted in natural medicines, and he often is quite vocal against um, big pharma, and uh, with the belief that everything they were doing was to make money as opposed to make it better. So he claimed that he found a cure to cancer, and the man was in his, he's like 82, and then he died. So this being, you know, the 21st century, people believe, a lot of people believe to this day that Dr. Sebi was killed because he claimed he'd found the cure to cancer. And he had a lot of sort of vocal advocates, some of them famous, one of them being uh, Lisa Left Eye Lopez from TLC, who also backed him up. You went to visit Michael him. Jackson. She died. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not advancing that theory. <laughs> but wait, yeah, but Michael, Michael Jackson, Jackson was another one and he Michael died. He's a supporter. But, uh, um, and most recently, Nipsey Hussle, the rapper, was making a documentary about the life of Dr. Sebi and about this cancer cure that he claimed to have made. And um, he obviously died in quite strange circumstances given who he was and the person he was and where he was. So that's who Dr. Sebi is. So, um, I think, 
so I think that there's a conversation here to be had about this whole idea of conspiracy theories because it's I think yeah you know, I, I probably I perhaps make links that that shouldn't be made but I found it interesting that um, Nipsey Hussle uh, is murdered and there's all these conspiracy theories and it's happening in the backdrop of Alex Jones being deposed um, about the, his kind of advancing of the Sandy Hook um, staged shooting conspiracy. And mm-hmm. I think the problem is, is that as we've kind of got access in the 21st century to things like the internet and more information, because some things that we took to be true have turned out to not be. Very and there few. have been some things... Yeah, but but there have been some pretty notable ones. Like, yeah. you know, so people often go back to, like, the Lusitania and, like, the reason that America joined um, the Second World War turned out yeah. to be a lie. And then also you've got the kind of what was happening with a lot of the uh, ghettos in America and things that have mm. come out. I think what then people go is because some things have turned out to not be true, that means everything should be questioned um, because nothing absolutely. is true. And and where it becomes dangerous is like, I don't know what happened with Nipsey Hussle, but if it just turns out that somebody from a rival gang saw an opportunity to take him out and make his crew legendary, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be surprised by that. But it's that people are so dissatisfied when their icons die that they then try to create this myth around them. It's like, I've seen loads of stuff with Lisa Leftai Lopez. It's like, maybe it was just an accident. The same thing with... Um, with Aaliyah, though, so people that are saying, yeah, yeah, I think this is a little bit different. I think, I think, and I can only speak for me personally as well. I think when someone like Nipsey Hussle is killed and he's doing amazing things for his community, he's a great artist, seemed to be really coming into his own. I mean, he had one of the best albums last year. When something like that happens, people struggle to grasp why this has happened and people struggle to deal with that loss. So it's like, this can't be as simple as one of his own killed him it can't be as simple as that I don't want it to be as simple as that I don't want it to be he was, yeah yeah. I don't want it to be as simple as that he is doing amazing things for his own community for his people how can one of them have taken him out I don't want to find out that my brother killed my brother and when you're trying to get away from that these different conspiracy theories become all of a sudden much more plausible because I I'm the furthest away from any kind of conspiracy theories I don't believe any of them but I found myself on Monday morning when I found out about Nipsey Hussle thinking, hey, you know what, this could be true. When the reality is, I think I was just trying to distance myself from the most probable facts being that it was someone over some dispute, had an issue with him. I didn't want one of my one of my favourite artists to go out like that. I wanted to make it a bit more important and I think that is why these kind of things are catching fire at the moment. I think there's also a racial aspect because I didn't hear loads of... Um... I didn't hear loads of uh, conspiracies when Mac Miller died, for example. You know, I think there was that understanding that, you know, yeah, he's been troubled. But I feel if Mac Miller had been black and still had the same substance abuse issues, I think that there would have been a drive to kind of go, no, this is what they do to our men and that kind of thing. But I think there's a, there's a trauma thing in that as well, that kind of our lives mean so little that by kind of creating these conspiracies around them, we inflate a value onto them that they otherwise might not have had because you know what was my article about it was like no he's not going to go down as just another gang rapper that's not that's not going to be the narrative and it's again about trying to say no hold on a second that's not how he's going to go out but i think the conspiracy theory comes from that same idea that no we have to make sure that he's not just remembered for that sorry yeah. kofi you look like yeah. you're going to say something oh, no so dan you go you go dan, i was going to say yeah it's, it might not be 
I don't think now science fiction thing is a bigger topic, but I think sort of the further to what you said that there is definitely a conversation which needs to have specifically around the black community and conspiracy theories and a susceptibility to them because I think like you say it's uh, I don't want to listen to that but I think when you've had the experience that black people have had at the hands of history at the hands of the rest of the world at the hands of our own ancestors You do, you do not rule out anything. You, you do not rule out anything as being the source of, 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 of what's going on, your troubles. So much of, your, of our survival is predicated on your feeling. What, what, how, how do you view the situation? How, like, you, you might just, like, you find it yourself. Like, you, you're going to a place, this doesn't feel right. Or you get a situation at work where you're like, oh, I need to look after myself here. And so that, when your entire existence is predicated on self-preservation, it's understandable that you're like, okay, well, I'm not going to rule out anything at this point in time because the thing that I miss or the thing that I don't look at could be the thing which means, you know, I pay the ultimate price. So, but I think that is definitely a, a, an interesting yeah, conversation which I would like to have down the road. And what I suppose, what does that say about, and like, obviously I'm not saying all black people are a monolith, but what does that say about us as black people? How we view ourselves, the value I, I, that we place in ourselves. I think we've got. I, I think we've got PTSD almost. I think. I think we. I don't think there's almost. I don't think it's yeah. almost. I think we. I think. I think. Well, it, yeah. I think it's just. It's entirely a result of, of history and what we've learned and what we've experienced as one another. Even, even people who have had, like, I, I've not had a difficult life as a black person in the country, like, compared to others by any stretch of the imagination. But I'm, I'm all too aware of the experience that my mum had and people in my family have had. And but hold on a second, though. Sorry, let's bring us all the way back to one of the first things that we were talking about, which was Dom's article. And and what was one of the things that he said? He said that his white friends believed him because they saw it. Now, my thing is bringing it back to conspiracy theories. Is in black, and you're right. All I think all of us. I can't. I can speak for myself. I haven't had a particularly tough life for any person really I've you know I live in England so I've had it relatively well mm. and I've not lived in the ghetto so I've had it even better but how many experiences have you had where people's first response has been you're lying so when something happens and you go well do you know what I was in a situation and when I told people they didn't believe me so it makes sense that if something happens I'm going to immediately look to well what would happen to me in that scenario what would happen to me in that situation so I think sometimes with with the with with black people and again I agree with Kofi that we're not a monolith but I think there has sometimes been a uniformity of experience it's like because this has happened to me I can believe that something weird would happen you know because how many people know for example Kofi about you know I know we laugh about it all the time but your story about like at <laughs> you the laugh station. about it all the time no but my point <laughs> is though is that you laugh about but, it but all my, the time how, but, no, but my but my thing is is like so many people wouldn't believe you because it'd be like well that's I have no frame of reference for that and so I think with black people in conspiracies, it's like, well, we've got frames of reference for things that majority white countries would not believe. For, 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 for the worry of, because I'm just cautious about time here. Um, again, it's the whole black people as a monolith, not saying we're, we are a monolith, but like we, ex we have so, we have it built in us that we can expect the worst. The worst thing can happen to us because like, like Dan rightly said, 
you look at history, you look at what's happened to us in our course of our time here on the on planet Earth, it can happen. How do we shift that? How do we shift that to being like the best things can happen to us, that like we have the options? I mean, do you guys see that as a possibility in our lifetime at all? Or are things happening? Are we seeing what's happening to some of the world's greatest like basketball stars, musicians, even like black intellectuals that are really making waves, writers? How, how do we get there? Do well, we get there? It's happening. Look at Nipsey. That's one of the things that he was doing. He was teaching the people in his neighborhood the values of investing, the values of opening your own businesses, a different way of living to what most people are accustomed to around there. And that is coming from the bottom of the bottom in the States. So these things are happening. And I think that's another reason why it kind of stung and these conspiracy theories were catching on is because he was doing something amazing. And then, oh God, we just revert to type. It's just another black person shot and killed, must have been doing something wrong. But one thing I do have to say on this before we wrap up the conversation about Nipsey Hussle, I have been quietly um, encouraged by the way that a lot of the news outlets have reported yeah, this. Yeah, agreed. Because if you look at Nipsey Hussle, if you look at his complexion, if you look at the tattoos on his face, if you listen to some of his lyrics, they could have quite easily said, ex-gangster, all these bad things about him, probably killed people, probably was into drugs and all these things, but no, they've been talking about the good that he's done mm. and the good that he's been doing. And that's been huge. That's been huge. Uh, and I think that speaks volumes about the kind of person that he was from what us as fans and consumers could see. Um, and yeah, this this one's tough, man. This one's tough. In case, I do think it is happening as well because I, you know, I had a conversation today with a couple of friends about like what Jaden Smith's doing with water in um, Detroit. Detroit. You know, these yeah. things yeah, are happening. Yeah. Like, so, and I think what's beginning to happen is now that people aren't just one thing. So Nipsey Hussle wasn't just a rapper. He was an entrepreneur. He was a teacher. He was a leader. He opened up that <laughs> STEM center in the middle of Crenshaw. Jaden Smith isn't just an actor and a musician. He's very quietly going into Detroit and being like, look, the government ain't going to help you. So let me do this. Um, you've got, you've got like um, Le- LeBron James with his school. The, the I promise mean? school, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think so. And but then this is the other thing is that there's so much. I know this happens with NBA players specifically. There's so much stuff that they do in the community that never makes it into the news, and it's like. But I think that the reason is is because a lot of them will just do stuff in their own community. Like, I, I remember, do you remember Marshawn Lynch kind of had the uh, yeah. press conference where he's like, I'm just here so I don't get fired. I'm, I'm just here so yeah, I don't yeah, get fired. Yeah, 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 Skittles. Yeah, but, but then <laughs> one, of the, one of the black reporters kind of asked him a question. He's like, look, if you want to come to my block, I'll talk to you. And the guy did. And when he went to where he oh, was sick. from in Los Angeles, or no, sorry, somewhere in California, Oakland, uh, all of a sudden you could see, well, there's this thing that Marshawn Lynch has done. And kid just coming up to him, thank you for my books thank you for my rucksack and it's like he doesn't need it to be in the news like and it goes back to that thing about when i'm on twitter and when i'm on the internet i'm unproductive when i'm doing the work you know it's often done in silence and 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 i think that i think it's happening Kof. and i think people and i think this is where social media can be a force for good but yeah. then you've got to moderate it because if you just spend all your time looking at other people you're not doing yeah. your own thing yeah i look at richard chairman i see he's been on, well, he's you know he's a cornerback for 49ers now who mm. formerly the Seahawks and like I used to follow his journey and just think wow he does so much stuff that nobody really knows about he doesn't put it on Instagram his wife talks about it doesn't tweet it and I just think okay that's amazing I just don't want to feel like 
again, if I was being naive in saying I've seen all these amazing things and black people doing multiple things, we're not just majority of us. Are, well, we can be more than one thing. I just didn't know if everybody, if other people seen that. And it, yeah. I think it's hard for I, I, quite a lot of black people to see this. I think it's hard for a lot of people, black I, people, I, to realize that we can be more than what is listed on the checklist man. of what black people should be. Look, Stormzy. Do you know what I mean? Getting straight me. A's. Oh, I got some tea about Stormzy. We'll come back to that later. Sorry, Dad, what are you saying? For me, for me like, ca- capitalism is our friend. It's, all, it's our enemy. It's been our enemy historically, but now it's our friend because I think you've seen a lot of, like, a lot of minorities, like people, when people are realizing they were. Unfortunately, for many people, like you can put a price on talent. And once you can put a price on talent, and once you can put a price on skill, you can start to generate your own wealth and generate your own value. And then that's where you start to generate some of these things within the community. And that's why like, you see, like for instance, like people, people could have, black people could only be entertainers, athletes before. Well, the change is now. You've got Dave, you've got Stormzy, and guess what? They own their own masters now. They own I their own masters. So that. I've now, so I'm now. That needs to be applied so outside I, of music. So I'm now doing a 15 million deal straight with Apple, and that's going in my pocket, and I can reinvest that now mm-hmm. instead of me getting 10 cents in the pound of a label. I nearly said a label, but. They sent me to a gig alone this week, and I'm not going to do that. Hold tight, hold tight the label. But I, I think we're starting to see that there are other ways we can go. And like you're saying, like all these athletes doing things in their community, and you're worried that people aren't seeing what they're doing. To be honest, I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters. Yeah. I think what matters is that the people on the ground are seeing it. And now, because of social media, the legend can spread. I don't need to see that on CNN because people hear about it. Marshall yeah. Lynch, for instance, like. What they found out, he retired abruptly. What's he doing? He saved every single penny of his, I think he got $68 million of contract, saved a penny, didn't spend any of it, all his money. He just spent his endorsement money because, like you're saying, he was reinvesting that stuff into his community products. Like, say, basketball players, Kevin Durant hates cameras, hates talking. He's known as one of the players who's doing as much as anyone in the NBA for his community in Oakland and his community back home. So I don't think it matters that people are seeing it or not. I just think, I think now because of social media, people are saying, okay, right, I can take control of my own sort of situation. You can, uh, you know, people think, okay, these guys are talking sense, but, but sign up their podcast for a king's ransom. ransom. <laughs> I think that's a good way to sort of move on to the next thing. Um, Angela, we were going to talk about the issue with your get that BBC sounds money uh, we want to talk about an issue that your sister was having having to cut out friends um, yeah you, 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 I might have missed that in my hiatus can you can you take us through that please what was going on and what was the unfortunate situation which I'm sure I, I could kind of guess what it is and I'm pretty sure I've got some stories to tell about this too so um, I was talking me and my sister have been talking a lot recently she's a uh, um in this situation where she's grown up in Canterbury in Kent. Um, we moved there when she would have been about nine or ten. Um, all of her friends growing up were white because we were, I think, the second or third black family in uh, Canterbury. And we've been talking a lot over the last few months about how it feels like there's been a double thing going on, that she's become more conscious of race and her friends have become seemingly less... Uh, sensitive or more overt about how they feel when it comes 
two race. Um, so um, this started with we were talking on um, social media, and she said to me, um, "There's this situation at work where someone has said something that's just extremely uh, racially insensitive. Like I think I think like she she'd been called coloured at work." Which is just obviously really funny because I wrote that thing about Angela Smith using coloured and funny tinged. Um, and she was like, I'm going to be polite about it. So I said, well, you're a better person than me because I've reached peak, I don't give a fuck, about kind of people's feelings. And so the key bit is, is that she said, the truth is most people I know are racially insensitive. So I asked her, do you ever challenge it or is it too much emotional labour? So it depends on the situation. Um, uh, and it kind of went on from there. But I said um, I said that I'd made really big changes to my friendship group because I felt like I was taking on a lot of emotional labour that I didn't need to. And um, she said, I feel like if I started pruning my friends who were racially insensitive, I don't know if I'd have any friends left. And I was like, that's a sad situation. Um she said, and then this was the bit, she said, I miss being around my own people. I've only had it once, but I felt so comfortable and so at home. But what was interesting for me was that line about she, she's in this situation where she either accepts the friends that she's got or if she challenges them, she loses them. And it's like, that's a difficult position to be in. And I think it's one that a lot of people of colour that I know, especially our sort of age, are in. I think it's more integrated the younger you get but you know when you're the third black family in a city that's that's a tough scenario to grow up in i I think it's very interesting the fact that like you have to you have to make that choice where people are sort of so unwilling to listen to what you've got to say and and can actually put aside this this need and this is what i get i find when people seem to intellectualize your experience and will sort of override it with that sort of way of thinking, you think I can't be friends with this certain person. Then I'm in. The, I know, and I've done it myself. I've just cut people off. And there's been two incidents. From one incident that happened a few years ago, went to a fancy dress party. <clears throat> this one, a, a friend, friend of mine, former friend of mine, turned up dressed as Nelly, all blacked up. First thing he said to me, he was like, "Hey, doo doo, I'm a," and dropped an end bomb. And I was like, and I had a go at him. And then friends at the party were like, what'd you do that for? You've ruined the party. He's, you've created the scene. And you know, he was only having a laugh. And I'm like, do you guys not see what the problem is? Anyway, I tried to go about the party and enjoy it myself. Um, pictures of this party have resurfaced a year ago, a couple of years ago. And was all meant to go to, and we were meant to go to a friend's barbecue. And um, one of the friend's, friend's girlfriend was like, started commenting on the, on the uh, picture. I was like, you should dress up like this again, mate. And he was like, oh, cats, people are too sensitive. I tried to explain why blackface and stuff is wrong. He was like, oh, don't worry about it. Shoe polish is too expensive these days. And I was just going back and forth about it. And then it's just like, hang on a second. The thing that got to me was like, everyone can see this. Uh, My group of friends who were going to this barbecue, I'm going to this barbecue, everyone can see this. Why isn't anybody saying anything? And then he got to the point where I was like, I'm just not going to go to this barbecue tonight. People asking me why I'm not going. I'm like... Can you fucking guess why? But then I just cut a lot of people off. And then in the end, it was like, okay, my two best friends, who I was expecting them to say something, I had a word with them about it. So why did you say anything? And they're like, oh, well, I don't know. We, you know, we didn't want to get involved. And like, 
we saw the back and forth and we just thought like you had you were handling it your own way and i said maybe it was my assumption that everybody else thinks like me that they i would expecting them to jump in and get involved and say something like the cavalry and that but then i've just realized that i can't be thinking like that anymore i can't expect everyone i know who isn't black or isn't a person of color to immediately jump at my defense because a lot of people don't know how to handle it a lot of people don't know what to say some people handle it by doing nothing at all so that in itself was a le- was a point for me to learn that okay handle this yourself if other people get involved that's it that's that's the way that they should ha- that's the way that they might handle it but i spoke to my friends and they said look now that we know we know a bit more now you know we will say something i'm like well, i don't understand what's changed when we were younger you guys were the first to jump in but now I think we're a bit older. Things have changed a little bit. And I've just cut off the people that don't want to listen. I've cut off the people that I've tried to speak to. I've cut off the people that I've tried to have a conversation with. And we'll try and openly take the piss when you do. And it's just, and to be fair, you know, all credit to your sister that she's at this point where she thinks like, you know what, I'm having to think about it. I'm not thinking twice these days. If I've tried to speak to someone, if I've tried to literally have a genuine, a genuine heart to heart about, okay, this is, you can't say this. And I'm not even saying about people talk about black people i'm talking i'm talking when people talk about asylum seekers i'm talking about people talking about um anyone who they feel like doesn't have the right here to be here because they weren't born on this patch of land trying to get people to understand there is an other bunch of people there is an other existence of way of living that people are escaping all sorts of horrific stuff that come in here risking their lives to get here is the only necessary for them to sort is the only thing they can do to benefit them and their families seeing people like that as cockroaches leeching off this government i don't know quoting tommy robinson if tommy robinson is your source of information it's your source of intelligence and you're a fucking moron do you know, but what you know what's funny mm-hmm. is like you know how they lack any empathy for you it's like the thing that has kind of really helped my digestion the last few days is the amount of laughing that i've done with Jon Snow being forced to apologise for calling white people oh white people. God. And that, and, but, but the way that people have lost their minds about that. <laughs> and it's like, hold on a second, are you telling me that you don't like it when people describe you by the colour of your skin? Is that is that what you're upset about? Yeah, yeah. So for me, that's gonna that's my new kind of teaching point when people kind of come to me and say, look, mate, just get over it. Like, we're not bothered when you call us white. Oh, really? Because, and it's like, I think that what I haven't done with that is just kind of gone, you know what, you can eat a lot. I'm going to kind of just eat this and enjoy this. It's like, actually, no, let's use this as a teaching point. Why is it that you're so upset? Yep. Who is it that said that about the N-word? I think there was um, a think piece on, I think Kendrick Lamar um, was at a gig and he got some fan up from the, the crowd to sing along to one of his songs. And kissed her out when she said the N-word, said you can't use that. And I can't remember who it was, but someone said that the way that white people feel about not being able to use the n-word is a real window into what it feels like to be a black person in general so it's, it's just another teaching point it's exactly the same mm. Mm. daniel son you you thinking you're contemplating right it's weird obviously me and dom from huddersfield and as you sat talking but but i just thought I can I can think I can personally think of as one of maybe twelve to fifteen non-white people in out of twelve hundred at school. Um, I I I can think of a lot of my friends who who would have said things like like that, and I could easily I was, I was thinking in my mind, but for the grace of God, like 
moving away for work or whatever, I'd have easily been in the same situation as you. The, the difference being, yeah. like, I just like, and you end up with friends like that because you know they're they're, they're not they're fundamentally not bad people, but they just they've just got some quite unconstructed mm-hmm. thoughts. And their problem is they see you as one of them. And when you're a kid, that's a strength seeing you as one of them. But when you're an adult, it's not a strength because they don't they don't there's no learning. There's no acceptance of, oh, this person's slightly different, so what, oh, why are they different? Why do I have to approach them differently? There's no critical thought, there's no, there's no development from that point, so that's how they get to the point where they're comfortable to say stuff like that, and then they can be surprised or offended, which is what uh, Angela's sister finds some position where they're, they're surprised when she, she now is the bad person for, for picking them up on something they've said, which, which is yep. an expensive thing to say, purely because they're like, yep. oh, what do you mean? Why are you suddenly turning on us right now? You're like, well, he's, what? And it, 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 it's, it's difficult because, when, like you say, when you're a minority, when you're a black person, especially, you find yourself in a situation where, as a kid, you just want, it, it's an easier life just to be accepted. You've got things that unite yourself. It's a lot mm-hmm. easier. But as an adult, you can't, people, you can't, you're not a kid anymore. You can't allow yourself to just not develop, not change. And, Certain people they get away with not developing that critical faculty, and that's and that leads to these situations where, as 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 yeah. a, as a as a man, you just got to take for your own goodwill. You just got to take yourself out of that situation because it becomes quite yeah. tiresome. That's that's all it was. Like I was just sitting there thinking that that could have easily been me. That could have easily been me in that same situation. It, it's a regional thing. A lot of it is proximity to people from a different background. I think I, I definitely think it is proximity. I don't I don't buy into people yeah. who say it's culture or whatever. There's not none of that proximity and it's exposure and it's like. I agree. But um, I don't know. People might disagree with me, but that that that's how I feel. But um, I, I just think it 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 it, it, it sort of, it did strike a chord. Like I've been in London seven years now, so it's like I feel. And then well, that was new Newcastle three years, so I'm ten years removed from having to properly deal from that, but. What was the resolution, Angela? What 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 has she done about it, or is it still pending? I think the thing is, is because um, it, it kind of really kicked off on I think a holiday where it was uncomfortable, but because it was her and five of her friends, it's like, well, what are you going to do? You're going to ruin the holiday when it's like I think they've all gone for someone's birthday or something. Ah, uh, uh, shit! Uh, and it's Mal- just, so you, you're, you're, just gonna kind you're of... physically removed from a safe space. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? And it's get, also like, are you just going to get the fish bolted in Magaluf? So it's easy for me. Like I've, you know, I changed my physical place. I went from work to uni. You know, yeah. I start hanging out with Kofi. I meet you guys. I'm at that's uni. It. That's got, that's like, the change. That's people. what I'm trying to say. That's the it's the physical change. It's like okay, you move on. Like there's a, there's a, there's a definite progression there. Whereas. But when people are, are in a position where they don't change, it, it, it's just, it's, it's too much comfort, it's too much harm, there's no growth. But I also don't have four kids, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's a, it's a different scenario entirely, like, I don't have to kind of plan around four children. Um, I can just go, do you know what, I'm a I'm going to do this. Like, the amount of things I've been able to just say yes to Kofi to, because I don't have to think about making four-pack lunches, or got to make dinner for five or six you know it's a different it's a different life um, and that's a privilege that that, that i have um you know and I'm, it's a privilege i'm very aware of um 
but I just, I, I, you know, hold tight all the people out there that are in that scenario and have to make uncomfortable decisions and like just know that if you do make changes, you know, the real ones will stay real. It's been one of the very few benefits of Brexit because I've been able to call a hell of a lot of people from social media um, because they all come crawling out of the woodwork when certain things are happening. And yeah, I've managed to get my, my friends list down significantly off the back of this shit. Did that not scare you though? Did that not scare you? Because sometimes I wonder, like, if this whole Brexit situation didn't happen, if the campaign, the weather around the campaign didn't happen, I would literally be still be friends with some of the people that I just think, how have I, like, bought you drinks? How have we gone out? How have I let you sort of stay at my house when you harbour these type of thoughts and you won't listen to reason? Or you won't even listen to try and understand what you're saying is pretty mad it's pretty bullshit I, I agree with what you're saying 100% but I think I'm in a very much similar situation to Dan here because I am um, I moved to Newcastle in 2009 and since then I've pretty much been away from home Firth and Huddersfield and that's where I've seen a lot of these people with these views on my social media hmm. since then I've been able to construct my friendship circle and my network around people that are progressive people that think in a similar way to me, people that have a similar worldview. So the people that I interact with on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, yep. they aren't those people. So, I mean, that was one of the reasons why I was surprised about Brexit. I was surprised about Trump because my <laughs> bubble, my, my, my network had become such that I thought my bubble was a reflection of reality when it wasn't. Hold tight, everyone in Dom's echo chamber. Hold tight, Dom's echo chamber. people. And hold tight, everyone Dom called. That is still on my friendship list and is going to see this on Facebook. Because <laughs> there's quite a few of yeah? Yeah, you. So hold tight, all you guys. Tom <laughs> <laughs> says, suck out. Okay. Suck your mother. Um, uh, can, we, can we bring the. I'm, I'm just looking at time. Um, can we try. We should wrap this up because I, I think that we've all grown up in these areas where we are. We still have a few people that might be expressing these views on the, the social media or we might see them when we go home and you know see mates and just think okay this is inevitable this is going to happen these are the people but luckily we have the choice like we said i just said we ha we none of us have any attachments to certain areas where we have the choice to physically remove ourselves from these spaces so we're thankful but what about the people that don't no, you say, what do you do in those situations? Like, is there's no right or wrong in this situation? Me, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. For me, like, if anyone that you know, this is why you've got like, although I've gone away, like, you've got to, you've got to keep contact with people back home and people that you know. You've got to give them an outlook, mm -hmm. give them someone to talk to. You've got to forgive. Right. You've got to. This is why you've got. You've, for me, you've got to forgive the people who who don't quite react in a way which you think they should react. And you've got to be strong for the ones who are strong enough to say no. This isn't right. People are different. Like, it's different. Mm. you've got to. We're stronger together. That's that's the way yeah. I see it. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Okay. So as you know, as we close the podcast with a songs I would X to. The last one was songs I would beat someone with a cosh. It fitted in perfectly with the theme of that episode. I was thinking going back to Dom's essay and what we started the conversation with. Songs I would glide past the bouncer to after he's originally denied me entry into his club. So it's almost <laughs> like a theme song. What song would you like to be able to be playing whilst a bouncer's actually like, actually no, you guys are right, you can go in. What is the track you would like to hear? Um, I would go first because it's a song that I've had it. I've had it in my head for the past month. I'd go with Tranquil Quest Award Tour. 
because it is a classic track. Ooh. Also, we've had five. It's been a year since um, uh, Five's death. Uh, it came on the radio, and I just forgot how good of a of a well pair of albums, Midnight Marauders, is and um, Low End Theory. And Low End Theory, and I was I have I was bumping them when I was in London the other week, and I've been listening to them quite a lot. And award tour, award tour, and um, vibes and stuff are my signature tracks from those two albums. That I'm sticking with award tour. Just think Best about- hip hop group of all time. Okay, okay. Come at me. <laughs> I will. Outcast. There you go. <laughs> You've been coming. That, that is a conversation <laughs> for nothing. Okay. Your suggestions, please, guys. Your suggestions, please, please. Um, I'm gonna go with, and this is more because of the person, the legend, than the track itself. But I'm going with. Rick James, Super Freak, and I'm slapping the fuck out of one of those bouncers on my way. <laughs> <laughs> He's got his red high heel shoes on, mate. Okay. Red leather boots, red leather his, up, his to red leather bo- up to the knee. Up to the knee. You're taking your neckerchief off and you're putting well. it on the bouncer. That's very nice. <laughs> very nice. That's uh, my pick. Dad, what are you saying? Uh, nigga, what? <laughs> I'm playing. Who's it by? Is that Jay Z? Huh? Who's it by? Yeah. Okay. Nigga who? Nigga who? Ababa who? Ababa what? Ababa blood clot, yeah. What you say? Angela, what you saying? What you saying? I mean, there is a big part of me that now wants to have that uh, Abamyang song. <laughs> but. I'm a what? Um, but um, the thing is, I would just want to stunt as hard as possible. And my the song for stunt, if you just want to stunt as hard as possible, is um, Outcast and. Uh, is it Outcast UK International Players Anthem? Oh, 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 oh wedding! Oh, oh. The girls, girls coming, girls coming out of the club to dance. Well, do you know what? Because it was either that or so fresh, so clean. Uh, so if I, oh. I like. This, do you know what the so fresh, so clean would have worked as long as you walked in and everything around you went in slow motion by default? Do you know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> it just but, had yeah, a so echoing fresh- vibe. I'm a bit seen. I've, I've not yet been to like, weddings. I've not heard ever since I saw the video. I was like, this must be playing at every wedding. And I've never, that video is the I've best been, thing I've, on I've the been internet. To I saw it. And I've not heard once. And I've well, can someone send me the link because I'll link that in the notes when I put it on the soundcloud. Oh, right. Uh, is it mad? It's a mad it, thing. Someone mad. needs to yeah, hurry up ridiculous. and get married, and we'll see. Uh, guys. Um, <laughs> Incredible. Before we go, can you plug yourselves? If anybody wants to find you, get in touch with you, send you any questions, where can they find you? Uh, Dom underscore HT, Instagram. Cool. Dan? At copycat Dan slash at copycat Graham. Cool. Mr. Angela Irvin? Uh, At the Black Unicorn blog on Instagram at Angelo3000K on Twitter, blackunicorn.blog, and obviously all the stuff we're doing. Cool. And I am at Kofi underscore smiles on Instagram and Twitter, baby boomers don't at me. Um, What I want to say is find us, all of us as a collective, we are at Black Guys in a Box. We have got the wonderful YouTube. You can see a little 45-minute snippet 
on our YouTube account uh, from us from the last episode. It's 40, 40, 45 minutes snippet of almost a two-hour <laughs> conversation. Insta and what, Insta and Facebook. How can people find us on there? Wakanda Social Club. On Insta Wakanda and Facebook. Okay, maybe I should change the YouTube so it links up. But yeah, find us on there. Send us any questions if you wanna. If you want us to cover any topics, please. Do not be afraid to ask. We are Wakanda Social Club at gmail.com if you want to Disney, you can't touch us, B. You can't touch us. <laughs> Come find us. We don't have an address, Disney. We do not have an address, B. We are we are just doing this. We're getting started. Please share, like, comment and support us all because we're just getting started. And this is this mm-hmm. is we're not doing this for us. This is for you guys. This is a relic for anyone nah, who needs an outlet. Hold tight, BBC. Hold tight, BBC. Tell them, tell them, tell them. 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 Tell them